Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. Lisa Benson is passionate about raising awareness of migraine since she was undiagnosed for over 20 years. Through her determination and perseverance, she's found a combination of Western medicine and complementary approaches that work to help reduce her migraine attacks. When did you first begin experiencing migraine? Um, probably when I was a kid. Um, I remember getting what I thought were just regular headaches. Um, I remember one probably around the age of like fifth grade, whatever age you are when you're in fifth grade. Um, and feeling just really uncomfortable with it, but not really knowing what to do about it. Hmm. I remember from reading your stories on migraine.com, it, was, it took several years to get a diagnosis, correct? Yeah, I was in my late 20s, actually, and I had mentioned headaches to doctors a few times. I think there was something about using the word headache that uh, threw doctors off. So I think if I'd gone in and said, I think I'm experiencing migraines, um, might have happened sooner. And uh, I may have mislabeled it attention headache at some points um, because I wasn't always totally disabled by them. So I assumed that when someone had a migraine, it was always something a lot worse than what I had experienced. Um, And so it took a while to find a doctor who would actually uh, ask me questions. And I almost sort of laughed at it. Like, I was like, why are you asking me about my headaches? I'm here like talking to you about this other thing I wanted to know about, uh, but okay. And she said she'd see me back in a month and she wanted me to track them. And for the first time I like really thought about the symptoms and Mm. that's when I got the diagnosis. That's such an interesting point because we don't know what we don't know. Right. And if you're having symptoms, you try to describe it in whatever words you can, but yeah, by calling it a migraine or, or calling it a headache rather than a migraine, like how, how would you know? Right. And like, um, I had, I've had family members have different types of migraines, but they're all so different that I didn't necessarily correlate what a family member had with what I had. Like, for example, one of my family members gets migraine aura, um, and she doesn't get the headache phase. So what she experiences is completely different. And if I'm not seeing flashing lights or ziggly lines, then, um, you know, how am I supposed to equate what I'm having with what she has? Yeah, that's an interesting point, too. I, I just told somebody the other day, I, I get episodic migraine, and mm-hmm. I was describing to them what it felt like when I have a migraine. But I told them, you know, when you talk to one person with migraine, you've talked to one person with migraine. It, yes. <laughs> it really does vary from person to person. Yeah. And I think it can vary in that person's life. So for example, I've had um, chronic migraine and I currently have episodic migraine and my migraine attacks. Um, I mean, there's usually a typical pattern, but they can really vary. Um, sometimes I'm sound sensitive, but a lot of times I'm not. I'm usually always light sensitive. Um, and I've met other people who light doesn't bother them. Yeah. And I, I've noticed too, it kind of changes over time. Like maybe it's different stages of my life or different 
levels of hormones or something um, that what I was sensitive to before has changed as well. Yes, um, I think that can throw you off for sure. Definitely. <laughs> Just to define a couple of terms, you said chronic migraine, which I think is clinically described as 15 or more migraine days a month. Yeah. Last time I checked, I think you had, it had to be eight, it had to be 15 or more headache days where eight were following the diagnostic criteria, criteria for migraine. And then the other, others could just be a headache. Um, but yet the really simplest way to put it is you have a migraine attack more often than not. Right. So how did you find a treatment plan that works for you? So that has also changed and gone through its own sort of cycles. So I was diagnosed, um, it's actually really good I was diagnosed then because a month later I actually became chronic. Um, So the first thing I was prescribed that day of diagnosis was sumatriptan or imatrex, Mm -hmm. and that's an abortive medication. Um, and I had taken that a few times, um, and it wasn't the most effective medication for me, but at the time, I think it might've been the only generic, uh, available. So that's the one that I could afford and get. Um, and, uh, then I like pretty soon after became chronic and, um, it was a interesting situation because I was a grad student in New York city And it was also pre-Obamacare. And in that state, there weren't a lot of good um, healthcare options. Um, And my school didn't have health insurance. And my husband was a freelancer, so he didn't get health insurance through any work of his. So we ended up with a catastrophic plan uh, because we were both healthy and that's all we felt we needed. Um, And that was certainly a lot cheaper than buying you know, private health insurance, like a full plan. So when I first was chronic, um, the, my primary care who I'd seen, um, she prescribed a, um, a medication that was a preventive medication that was cheap. Um, so I was put on, um, I think it was nortriptyline was the name of the drug. Um, And it's an older antidepressant. And that did not help me. So throughout the course of my treatment, I finally opted to pay for health insurance, which I'm blessed that I had the resources to do so. Um, And so we were able to try, you know, pretty much whatever we needed to try. Um, And I ended up being able to um, try Botox was one of my treatments. Mm -hmm. And that helped a lot. And then I also would switch preventives and tried a few more until one seemed to be making a little bit of a difference. And um, I also did a lot of research and looked into things such as um, trying out an elimination diet, so eliminating foods and putting them back in to see if there were any that were contributing. Um, And I, I pretty much just did everything I could um, in my power to kind of learn and research because there's a lot you can do on your own too as a patient. Um, It's almost good and and bad in a way because the lifestyle changes can be quite overwhelming. 
sometimes, but, but through all of that, um, I finally was feeling better, um, probably within a year or year and a half. And then at that point I was slowly able to remove treatments and, um, I, uh, became a mother about a year ago. And so before I got pregnant, I was able to really, um, reduce what I had to take to treat an attack. Um, and it's still like an ongoing process of what works, what doesn't work and, um, just trial and error. I was going to ask you, how did pregnancy affect your migraine? So the first trimester they were worse. Um, and, I was working with a headache specialist who had looked at the data for Imitrex and pregnancy, and there was a, I guess a survey, I'm not sure the technical term, but a, a sort of study done that tracked women who took Imitrex during their pregnancy to see if, um, you know, there were any effects on the baby once born and um, the effects of on the baby of the mothers who took Imitrex versus didn't take anything um, were identical. So she felt confident to prescribe that to me. But as I mentioned before, it wasn't the most effective medication for me. Mm -hmm. So I do better with Maxalt or um, a cup. There's another one too that works, but some of the newer some of the newer abortive medications and, um, so, but at least I had something in my toolbox. And then, uh, the second and third trimesters were, um, were actually a lot better. And then postpartum, I had some migraines, I think due to breastfeeding hormones. Mm -hmm. And now I'm actually weaning off breastfeeding. And I think the reduction in those hormones, like another hormonal change is triggering some migraines. So I think what I've noticed with my pattern is some kind of change um, and hormone can be one change uh, that will, will trigger, I guess, a, uh, you know, like will trigger me getting a lot more attacks. Um, So keeping things as steady as possible is, is great, but obviously I wanted to have a kid and you can't have even steady hormones when you're having a kid. So it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, minimizing change is just tough in life in general. Yeah. I mean, certain changes are fine. um, But I I know that some changes such as sleep schedule or um, altitude or hormones, like those sort of broader, more atmospheric changes can definitely um, cause me to have more migraine attacks. Well, you mentioned sleep and I know when you have a new baby that can definitely disrupt your sleep. What, (laughs) (laughs) what strategies have you used to cope with demands of caring for a baby and minimizing your triggers? Um, so a baby at one year obviously sleeps a lot differently than a newborn. Um, so when, my daughter was a newborn. Um, I really followed the sleep when your baby sleeps strategy, like to heart. I mean, if, if my baby was down for a nap and I could take a nap, I did. Um, and I do that to some extent now too. I'm working more now. Um, and, um, I don't need it as much, um, since, 
she doesn't necessarily sleep straight through the night, but she certainly sleeps for a good amount through the night. And I can usually get, you know, a decent night's sleep at this point. Um, but, you know, just trying to rest when I can or having another family member um, take her so I could catch up on sleep. And just knowing that it, it's sort of an ephemeral part of my life. Like it's, I'm not always, she's not always going to need me at 3 a.m. So, you know, yeah. while she does, she does. You've shared in your articles and your videos on migraine.com how you've advocated for yourself with your doctors and even sharing information with them on research you've done as well as how you experience migraine. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone about how to advocate for themselves? So I think people often mistake advocating with being forceful or rude. And I think I've found I can most effectively advocate when I'm both firm, but also kind. Hmm. So I try to take into account what the doctor might be thinking or where they're coming from. Um, but also just very calmly state, well, this is what's going on. Um, to give an example, uh, when I was pregnant and I mentioned going through the big decision of taking Imitrex during pregnancy. Um, I saw a maternal fetal medicine specialist for the first ultrasound. Um, and the reason I saw her is because I had a family history, uh, or not a family history, actually, a um, genetic test revealed that I was a carrier for cystic fibrosis. So if anything like that comes up, you see a maternal fetal medicine specialist to just check that everything's okay and everything turned out fine. But so she saw my medication chart and was really um, anti-Imitrex during pregnancy. And she hadn't seen any of the data. And so I very calmly said, you know, I've talked to my both my gynecologist and my migraine specialist about this. And also I personally have looked at the data myself and I'm comfortable with this and um, you know I don't know what the effects of severe disability and pain would be on a fetus but I do know that the effects of this medication haven't been shown to be anything so I'd rather go with this and you know she wasn't necessarily the doctor who would prescribe or not but I did feel like it was a moment that I needed to advocate for my choice. I, I love that you, how you said, you know, doing it with kindness, really, but, but sticking to your, your points of like, this is, this is what I've chosen for me. Yes. And, you know, I also remaining open too. So she, she did mention that there is an older uh, migraine medicine called Fioraset, which um, since it's been around longer, there's been more data on it, perhaps. Um, I'm not sure if that's where she was coming from. So I did reach out to my migraine specialist, and we tried it. Um, but that drug actually made me intensely nauseous, so I only used it the one time. Um, so remaining open can be helpful, but only to a point, because if you're too open and they're not doing what you need, then it's not helping anyone. In another one of your articles, you wrote about the question, Why? such as why did my migraine attack start? Why is it worse for me than others? And how you had to move past the why. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, I think when I first became chronic, um, it was so sudden. Like, I had gotten the diagnosis, but I, I was very much just episodic when I got the diagnosis. Maybe, you know, four or five attacks a month at most. Sometimes months would go by with no attacks, and it was definitely not like a huge part of my life. It was, it was more of an annoyance, like, oh, I, now I have another headache um, because that's what I thought they were. That's annoying. Now I have to go home and lie down and I have to cancel my plans. But um, I woke up on Christmas morning that year with an extremely disabling attack. And a lot of it was, well, why did this attack happen? And why did it never really stop? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, eventually it did, but it basically, the, the effects of it went on for a really long time while I was trying to figure out treatments. And trying to find that answer felt all-consuming. And the more I kind of learned about migraine and the more I talked to others in the community you know, maybe there's an answer that science hasn't discovered, but there's not really a need for an answer. It just, it is. It's the same way that you might get another disease. You know, some people, unfortunately, get migraine and get chronic migraine. And it felt counterproductive to be trying to figure out why that happened. Um, And it felt more productive to think about, well, what can I do to feel better? I think that's that's so important for for anyone dealing with a chronic condition. Yeah, and I think I haven't I don't have a lot of experience with another chronic condition personally, but I think with migraine there's this weird unique place that it holds because of the fact that it runs a lot of the time for people on triggers. So people mistake triggers as causes oh, going out in the sun causes my headache. And that's the language that we might use. But when you change the language to I have migraine or I have migraine disease, there's a couple ways that people in the community state it. But regardless of that specifics, you have that condition or disease and something that you do might trigger it or might cause a flare-up. Um but because of the episodic nature of migraine, I think it's in this weird place where people often wonder, well, what's the cause? But it, it is, just like someone else might have ADHD or depression. Yeah, and finding out what triggers your migraine is a, a key part. It can be. Um, for me, it has been helpful, um, but sometimes there really is no trigger. And I think depending on the person, that can be a stronger, um, a stronger help than others. So, and I think the more chronic someone is, the the more exhausting it is to have to even worry about a trigger, mm-hmm. because regardless, you're going to hit a trigger. Um, because I think what I've seen in the community is the more often someone gets a migraine, the more sensitive they are, and the more triggers they end up. I guess, collecting, for lack of a better word. Um, I think triggers, you know, it's it's sort of like a double-edged sword because it, it can be so helpful if you find, like, this this thing that has been 
triggering repeat attacks and it's something simple that you can eliminate. Um, like maybe it's a food you're eating and if you don't eat that food, you get 50% less attacks. But I think it can also be very frustrating for those who have either too many triggers or they don't really have clear triggers or they're unavoidable triggers such as like you brought up the lack of sleep and caring for a newborn. I mean, you're, you're just not going to get eight hours of sleep every night solid, you know, until the baby's older. Right. Um, it's just not going to happen. So it's good and it's, it's helpful sometimes. And I always encourage people to, to keep a migraine diary, to track what's going on, uh, to look at patterns, um, but also to maybe not get overly caught up in it too, especially if they've done that now for six months and it, and it isn't helping. You mentioned a little bit about the community. Why do you think it's important for people with migraine to have an online community? So I can speak for me personally. I found that um, I felt really alone. And there's a couple reasons for that. Migraine is an illness that can hit people in the prime of life. And sure, people can get sick all throughout their lives. You don't have to be a certain age. But when you're used to being healthy and in your, your 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond, and then all of a sudden you're sick, um, it can be really shocking. And you can feel like your friends or your family are all healthy and able to carry on and do things that you can't do. Um, so it's really nice to connect to other people. Um, and then also for migraine, there's so many ins and outs and so many things you can learn about the condition. And I've, I've found as good as a doctor can be, they don't have, you know, three hours to kind of just talk to you about it. And it can be really nice to talk to someone else and just say, oh, okay, so craving foods is a thing that, that like a lot of people feel. Or, um, oh, it's normal to get a little dizzy. Or, you know, it can be helpful to just brainstorm and talk to others in the community. Or, And the other big thing, too, is there's lack, lack of adequate headache specialists um, in the country. So sometimes you need to find your knowledge elsewhere and, and then go to the doctor and maybe you can't even get a headache specialist because you'd have to drive eight hours and your job, you can't take days off or you're not well enough to drive yourself, you know, so you need to advocate with a doctor who may be less knowledgeable, like, hey, I've heard on this community that this treatment could help. Is this something we could try? Those are all good points. And yeah, I, I know the migraine community has been a great resource for me as well. Um, just when you're trying to think, okay, what have I not tried yet? What is, what is something else that, that might help? Yeah. And I think something that we get a lot on migraine.com is people saying, well, I've tried everything and they've probably tried a lot of things. There are people out there who really have tried so many things and for years. And I understand why they say I've tried everything, but they really haven't. There's, there's always something else to try, but the problem is, is finding access to that knowledge and your doctor may not have all that access or it might lie in alternative therapies or 
or in just a different doctor or, you know, a newer therapy that maybe isn't affordable yet, but hopefully would be, you know, in the next year or two. So on that point, how, how are you feeling about the, the recent developments that have been happening in the migraine community with, with new treatments coming out? So I'm excited. Um, I personally haven't been affected because I have been episodic. Um, however, it is extremely reassuring to know that there are new things out there because um, there's always the risk of being chronic again or, or more high-frequency episodic and needing you know, more support than I've needed in the last, say, three or four years um, because the treatments have been very frustrating. They're... Um, usually not directed right at migraine um, and usually off labels. So the fact that scientists and doctors are now looking at treatments, um, you know, specifically for migraine, it's, it's like a breath of fresh air. Is there anything you'd like for people to know about migraine that they might not know? Yeah, I think just how much it can alter the way that you feel like you can interact with the world. So when I get a migraine attack, I feel like I'm a completely different person in, in how the world affects me. So without an attack, I could go to a music concert. I can go out to the beach and be in the sun. I can, you know, think straight. <laughs> you know, I feel like I have a fairly okay IQ uh, without an attack. And you know, it's different than just having like a common headache, which I'm not even sure what a common headache is necessarily, but, you know, I think a more mild head tension or pain. Um, it's really a full body experience that affects all your senses. And it can be really difficult to convey that to people who don't have it, especially when it doesn't really look like there's much going on. And, you know, unless you're in the corner throwing up, which actually nausea and vomiting is not really a symptom I have. So there's not much to see, you know, yeah. so it can be really hard to convey how much your world changes. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your experiences and, and your knowledge. Yeah, it was a pleasure. To read Lisa's articles and join the conversation, visit Migraine.com. You can also find Migraine.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Other health communities are available at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.